Hello, and thank you for tuning into this episode of the Chillinois Podcast. I hope that you've been enjoying the last few episodes of our podcast. I sure have. Today, I have a few announcements. We'll start with an exciting one. I received a follow-up email from my conversation that I had with the Illinois CROO, otherwise known as the Cannabis Regulation Oversight Officer, Daniel Perry. For those of you that have already seen the episode in its entirety, you likely expected a follow-up episode. At the end of the podcast, I displayed an email that I had drafted to the office of the Illinois Cannabis Regulation Oversight Officer. I'm displaying that email now. I recently received a reply to this email and I am happy to share the information that I learned. Some of the information that I plan to share is new to me. In other words, I learned something, which of course was the entire point of the conversation. For those of you that haven't seen the entirety of the conversation yet, we've placed a link to the conversation in the show notes for today. That brings me to the next announcement that I have to make, and it relates to show notes. Before we get to the follow-up email that I received from the office of the CROO, I wanted to let you know that we are changing the way that we distribute our show notes. From now on, we will be including one link in the description for each episode. This link will take you to the show notes for the episode. Our podcast is available on several platforms. We've received feedback from our audience that the formatting in our show notes gets broken on several platforms. We were able to replicate this error and have come up with this solution. I really like this solution because it allows me to format the notes in a way that's much more digestible. So again, from now on, we will be posting one link in the description for all upcoming episodes of the Chillinoy podcast. This link will redirect you to our blog, which will serve as the new home for our show notes. You can subscribe to our blog by going to chillinoy.net slash blog. This will make it so that you get notified whenever we release new podcasts or announcements. By popular demand, we have started to release video versions of our podcast. Currently, we release our podcast on two video platforms, YouTube and The Weed Tube. We might start to appear on other platforms soon. In any case, the easiest way to watch the Chillinoy podcast is by going to chillinoy.net slash video. Let's talk about the follow-up email that I received from the CROO. The first question related to seeds being sold in dispensaries. On the show, I asked what was preventing seeds from being sold in dispensaries. The answer was that there would likely need to be changes to our seed-to-sale software, Biotrack, to allow for movement of dynamic products like seeds. There is no requirement for medical licensees, cultivation centers, and dispensaries to supply seeds. Now, there have been a few people that have objected to the fact that I even asked this question. And I wanna say, I understand your objections. If you're not aware of the objections that I'm referring to, well, here's a shameless plug to my very first grow journal. In the very first episode, I comment about the fact that, technically speaking, seeds may only be sold in dispensaries and may only be purchased by medical cannabis patients. As it stands now though, as some of you may know, you can purchase cannabis seeds from almost any grow store in the state. 
I understand that some of you are afraid of a crackdown because of how the law reads, but I still think it's a fair question to ask. The people that critiqued my line of question on this topic are trying to make the case that MSOs could potentially block out geneticists based on state law, which again, as it reads, requires all seeds to be sold in dispensaries. And I totally get that. But let's set aside the fact that, in my opinion, it's highly unlikely that we'll see enforcement on this issue because as far as I know, by federal law, seeds are completely legal to sell and trade because they are classified as hemp. But let's set all of that aside. Do you think that craft growers and other licensees should be prevented from developing and selling their own genetics? It's a fair question. Also, it's not like MSOs are master geneticists. They still rely on geneticists to provide them with what they need. And my final thought is, I don't see any MSO investing in genetics or selling seeds because why would they? It would require them to develop canopy space for the sole purpose of developing genetics for consumers and it affects their bottom line negatively in so many different ways. If you're trying to sell a man fish, the last thing you do is provide that man with means to catch his own fish. The second question that I sent as a follow-up related to license, ownership, disclosures, and what is required. I've pasted the answer that I received in the show notes, along with the language from the law that the office of the CROO supplied. My third question was prompted by Danielle. I asked her team to send me the annual reports for each agency that they oversee. I have pasted the links to a report from the Illinois Department of Health, a report from the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation, a report from the Illinois Department of Agriculture, a report from the Illinois State Police, a report from the Illinois Department of Human Services, and a report uh, from the Illinois Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity in the show notes. Once again, a link to all of these reports will be in the show notes. My fourth question was inspired by a conversation that we had on the podcast about firearms and how the Illinois State Police have reportedly accessed the medical cannabis patient registry and have denied the sale of firearms on the basis of cardholder status. Instead of asking for more information about medical cannabis and the ability to purchase firearms, I decided to step that question back by simply asking, what access do Illinois State Police have to the medical cannabis patient registry and in what context are they able to access it? The response I received was extremely interesting. I didn't realize how much access the Illinois State Police had to Illinois medical cannabis patient data. That is, until I read the response I received from the Office of the Cannabis Regulation Oversight Officer. Before I talk about this, I wanted to take a moment to say thank you to everybody that has contributed to our podcast. Your contribution helps us to continue doing this podcast, and it, as you all may know, it costs a lot to afford fees to distribute and host our podcast. Other expenditures include licensing fees for the software that is required to produce this podcast, and the equipment to capture this podcast isn't cheap either. So if you're able to contribute, please show your support to the Chillinoy Podcast by making a one-time 
monthly, or yearly donation of your preferred amount at chillinoy.net slash support. That's right. You can donate any amount of money to the Chillinoy podcast if you go to chillinoy.net slash support. According to the response that I received from the CROO, the Illinois State Police were first allowed access to the patient registry under the Compassionate Use of Medical Cannabis Act. I'll paste their entire response in the show notes, but they say, quote, the CROO was not involved in the drafting of that legislation. However, our understanding is that ISP serves as a reference for local law enforcement when there are questions about a person's status as a medical cannabis patient. For example, if a medical cannabis patient is stopped by law enforcement while they are in possession of more than 30 grams of usable cannabis, the legal adult use possession limit, but not their medical registration card, and they say, I understand this happens, but I have to stop here to remind patients to have their medical card on them at all times. Local law enforcement may contact ISP to verify the individual's medical status. Similarly, local law enforcement may contact ISP if they suspect someone is growing cannabis to ensure that the individual is a medical patient and therefore allowed to cultivate at home. They have provided sections from the Medical Act which give the Illinois State Police access to the medical cannabis registry. We'll have that language pasted in the show notes. For my fifth question, I asked about the disparity and demand study that should be due to be released. For those that aren't aware of what I'm referring to, the Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act, which is the act that legalized adult use cannabis, says that the Illinois Cannabis Regulation Oversight Officer shall commission and publish one or more disparity and availability studies that evaluates whether there exists discrimination in the state's cannabis industry and, if so, evaluates the impact of such discrimination on the state and includes recommendations to the Department of Financial and Professional Regulation and the Department of Agriculture for reducing or eliminating any identified barriers to entry in the cannabis market. Such disparity and availability studies shall examine each license type issued pursuant to sections blah 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 and shall be initiated within 100 days from the issuance of the first of each license authorized by those sections. The results of each disparity and availability study shall be reported to the General Assembly and the Governor no later than 12 months after the commission of each study. It also says that upon the completion of the disparity and availability study for the industry, state agencies like the IDOA may modify or change the licensing application process to reduce or eliminate barriers from and remedy evidence of discrimination identified in the disparity and availability study. Okay, like I said, I asked about the disparity and demand study and their answer was, quote, we are in the final stages of securing a vendor to conduct the disparity study. I will send additional information once the contract is finalized, end quote. I've pasted that response in the show notes. I also asked for a status update on an equity study that the CROO is tasked with creating. They answered, quote, We are working with the University of Illinois School of Business to process the data we've received to date. I'm hopeful that we will release a complete report before the end of the fiscal year, June 30th, end quote. That response is pasted in the show notes. 
I am very excited to announce that I will be sitting down with a professor at the U of I to talk about this study and more. For my sixth question, I asked if they could give me any insight into what problems remain with the new medical cannabis portal for physicians and patients. Their answer was, quote, our understanding is that most system issues experienced on the patient slash physician side have been resolved. However, IDPH is committed to providing support to any patients or providers who are having trouble with the portal. We've pasted this answer in the show notes. I reached out to some physicians I know, and they've all confirmed that most of the issues that they've experienced on the new portal have been resolved, which is great to hear. I also had a few more questions that I wanted to send to the CROO. The purpose of these remaining questions were to see if I was understanding the law correctly. I asked a question about language regarding possession limits. I've spoken to several attorneys that have interpreted the language that relates to possession limits in Illinois to mean that if you cultivate cannabis at home, that you must secure any amount that exceeds 30 grams. In other words, as long as those quantities are secured, then you may keep what you grow. In other words, at home, from what I've been told, medical cannabis patients do not have a possession limit. Outside of their home, their possession limit relates to what they can carry on their person, and that's displayed on their card. It also has a bearing on how much they can purchase from a medical cannabis dispensary in Illinois in a period of 14 days. I asked the CROO if this was a correct interpretation of the law, and they stressed in their reply that their answer was not legal advice, but that they came away with the same interpretation of the law. I want to stress again that the office of the CROO made it clear to me that this was not legal advice and that anybody that had questions related to something like this should speak to an attorney. I also asked questions related to gifting. From what I understand, there is language in the law that allows for cannabis to be gifted from one adult to another so long as the recipient is 21 years of age or older and the amount doesn't exceed their possession limit. From what I understand, you may not gift cannabis that you bought from a medical cannabis dispensary and you may not gift cannabis that you cultivate at home. The CROO again stressed that their answer should not be interpreted as legal advice, but they said they interpreted this section as I did. The last question I asked and received an answer on related to craft cultivators. In the past, we have shared information that craft cultivators would only be allowed to sell their products to adult use dispensaries. From what I heard, that had changed and was no longer true. I asked for clarification and the office of the CROO confirmed that craft growers and infusers can sell product to medical cannabis dispensaries to sell at the medical cannabis tax rate. This is cool, but it brings up another question. Why can't medical cannabis patients shop at any store at the medical cannabis tax rate? I believe the answer has to do with how the rules are written, but I would have to confirm that with the state to give you a confident answer. In any case, medical cannabis patients can only purchase cannabis at the medical cannabis tax rate if they purchase it from a medical cannabis dispensary. 
Thank you all so much for tuning in and supporting this podcast. We've got several exciting episodes that we plan to release in the near future. And in case you're catching up, let me give you a recap of some of the previous podcasts we've released and why you should consider checking them out. We've been on quite a run and we've been able to speak to some very interesting guests. Most recently, we were joined by Dr. Samuel Bannister, who is a well-known and respected medical chemist and pharmacologist. He's known for creating the compounds that are known as SPICE or K2. He can also be attributed for expanding our understanding of cannabinoid science and much more. Jackie Bryant is a writer that has appeared in MJ Biz Daily, Forbes, and her own newsletter, The Cannabitch. We talk about some cannabis news, safe banking, what it would mean, and much more. Definitely check out that episode. I've also had the pleasure of sitting down with Gene Lacey from the Illinois Psychedelic Society. Gene told us about a bill that she is helping to draft, which would effectively decriminalize the possession, use, cultivation, production, creation, analysis, giving away, and delivery of natural plants and fungi, which are defined as psilocybin, psilocin, ibogaine, mescaline, except from peyote, and dimethyltryptamine. That's definitely a podcast that you won't want to miss. Speaking of natural plants and fungi, I recently sat down with Dana Larson. Dana is a Canadian author, businessman, philanthropist, and activist for cannabis and drug policy reform. Larson currently operates businesses and nonprofit societies in Vancouver, including the Medical Cannabis Dispensary, the Medicinal Mushroom Dispensary, the Coca Leaf Cafe, which is the first place in North America where you can purchase coca leaf over the counter, cannabis books, and the Get Your Drugs Tested Center. If you're into advocacy, that's an episode that you won't want to miss. Dana is responsible for a lot of progress that we have made as a society with respect to drug policy reform. Before I go, I have a few other podcasts that I wanted to mention. I sat down with an artist known as Brian Box Brown, or as most people know them, Box Brown. We discussed the state of cannabis policy across the nation. One last episode that I wanted to mention is episode number 182, which features Tom Shuba and Stephanie Zimmerman from the Chicago Sun-Times. They recently did an investigation into Illinois cannabis, and this was their headline. What's in Illinois weed? Sometimes contaminants, sometimes testing fines. We go through the details of their investigation and we discuss their findings, which are pretty interesting to say the least. So I hope you found value in this episode of the Chillinois podcast and stay tuned for more.